that maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon's dead. But the fact is, it's it's going to get taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family. And welcome to the latest regular edition of Let Me Tell You Something, where your two co-hosts discuss, analyse, debate, and distribute amongst you the wise thoughts that they've created for you to ponder even more and grow both as an intellect and as a moral upstanding citizen. Too much to sell? Well, we're talking about the ultimate overseller of promises on this one. We're going to be talking about Vincent Kennedy McMahon. And by we, I mean your co-host Lorcan Mullen. And with you as always is the Pat Patterson to my Gerald Briscoe. The Jamie Noble to my Joey Mercury. The Stephen Miller to my Steve Bannon. Mr. Simon Cross. Simon, how you doing today, mate? Oh, that got gross at the end. I'm alright. I'm good. I'm good. Which would you rather be? What, Miller or Bannon? I, th- I-, I can't remember what Steve Miller looks like. He's the one that's like 32 going on 58. Uh, I'll be Bannon then. Bannon's like 50 going on 96. Ah. First thought, best thought. Fuck it, Bannon. Lightning round. So, we are going to be discussing today a topic that really is a bit of a taboo in certain circles, but one that increasingly has to be something that should be brought up in the conversation. Simon, what will be our Let Me Tell You Something discussion today? We're discussing uh, what would a post-Vince McMahon WWE look like. Well, I guess it's not a what would, what will. I think we can... I mean, well, you can't fully assume because whilst unfortunately Vince McMahon's brother did pass recently, his mother is still kicking around. So in theory, Vince could outlast us all. (laughs) But... At some point, I think there will be a WrestleMania that is not produced by Vince McMahon. At some point, there will be an investors meeting of some description where the person speaking for WWE is not Vince McMahon. There will be some point where the person signing the checks for the talents is no longer Vince McMahon. We've kind of split it down into four key elements, I suppose, that will be the basis of the conversation. What will this end look like? We were originally thinking of putting dates and everything, but that's quite a morbid thing to be predicting given what one of the potential reasons for this happening could be. What does the creative and visual and production side of the WWE look like? How does the wider wrestling world react to it? And how is the wider wrestling world affected by it? And how will the WWE fit into some sort of different corporate environment and different culture and someone in charge you probably has a different level of awareness of the surrounding culture so i guess the the logical thing to go by simon is what do you think is more likely the buyout or the inheritance i think the inheritance is more likely vince strikes me even with the growth of obviously like gargantuan companies and the recent peacock deal he strikes me as a man that this is his baby there's a great quote from Freddie Prince Jr. on his Talk is Jericho episode. This is Vince's toy box. And these are Vince's toys. This is Vince's world. Oh, I don't think he wants to let go of that. The question becomes, how does Vince perceive himself as a person? He's got to be looking at his whole land and deciding where the lay of it is. And I think that he has a sum in his head that he would sell for. And in this era of corporate buyouts, in this era of 
mega multinationals and media conglomeration. There is never going to be another time where WWE's value will be as high as it will be for the next three to four years. Well, with everyone and their like dog having a streaming service yeah. and WWE being the producers of so much content. Yeah, and having a hardcore loyalist fan base. Having a unique product that can't really be replicated, even though we have your AEWs. It's the brand value of WrestleMania, which is greater than anything anyone else can hope to achieve. Like, Wrestle Kingdom has a one-one-hundredth of brand value WrestleMania has, and that's probably the second-highest event brand in wrestling. AEW hasn't reached a, a brand of, of such great cultural impact yet. It's still in the early stages, so we don't yet know its place, and we'll discuss that a bit later. But it's just the, the branding, the, the videotape library, the history... All of those elements in the sense that that is what wrestling is, that you are essentially buying the wrestling industry, just like if you're buying the U- when the UFC was bought. So that was like the sport of MMA essentially being bought at that point. Yes. Well, it's interesting because like, you mentioned UFC and like people who don't really know a lot about it will go, oh, yeah, they do that UFC. Not they do that MMA. They do that UFC. It's like, oh, yeah, that WWE. And in their mind, you're right, it is the same thing. Like, that is wrestling is just that thing. And weirdly, even though WWE has continued to fall in ratings, as we keep being reminded, essentially for like the past 18 years almost, what we've also witnessed in recent years is WWE and wrestling being a greater part of the pop culture landscape, partly through The Rock, but now you have figures like Dave Bautista, like John Cena, who have a larger external awareness. Becky Lynch was a big deal in the in the cultural landscape. And because everything is so fractured, just having that core loyal fan base yeah. means a lot more now than it ever did before. There are guarantees, and also what WWE will always guarantee is new content that has a certain appeal that can't be held off and binge-watched. It is an immediacy. That's why sport is so valuable in the current television landscape for ratings, because it's one of the few things that you know people have to watch there and then, and it's constantly churning out new stuff that will have a market for it. Well, that's why um, Amazon's going so hard after NFL's Thursday night games. Mm. I think they're spending a billion on that. And the brandings are becoming more and more increasingly global. I think one of the most important things WWE has that they can back up their value is how popular their YouTube channel is. Oh, yeah. I think that's a, that's a revenue stream that I don't think people necessarily appreciate how good that looks for them. And it's still... China is that uncracked market that if you're going to go after it with wrestling, if you can make an imprint... WWE is still the place to go. So there's still more potential for growth that's maybe beyond the knowledge base of Vince McMahon, but in a larger corporate structure that understands international markets better and can delegate those responsibilities more to more knowledgeable and responsible subdivisions. That's why the WWE, within a corporate environment, and I think that the one everyone assumes if it's going anywhere, it's going with NBC Universal. That's where the future lies to me. So that's why I think a buyout's more likely than an inheritance. Okay. Because I also think that Vince will look at getting however many billions of dollars as certain things that he can... It's, it's the ultimate triumph for him that he created something in his mind he can think from nothing. Which is not the case, but he did build something that no one else could. And he gets to see the final end of that where he's able to sell it at a value greater than the UFC I think that's the key thing that he he sees himself as a media mogul and if he can sell WWE for the same sort of figures that Pixar was sold for that Marvel was sold for that the UFC was sold for he can finally say I'm not just a wrestling guy I'm media empire mogul Mm. and I built a brand that was worth as much as Star Wars to the cultural canon as Marvel as Pixar, as any of those things. So that's why I think Vince can see this as the final triumph. I do think that there is a sum of money that you can put in front of Vince and Vince can think, I can't not take this. Yeah. And I also think there's a crazy part of Vince that says, now I don't have the WWE to worry about. What can I invest in with this $4 billion that can make me $20 billion? Yes, yeah, that that bit I do agree with. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, that World Bodybuilding Federation, I can take a proper crack at that now. Or whatever the hell he decides to do. If the buyout 
is what happens. Yeah, he won't rest. I can see Linda, Stephanie, more reluctantly Shane, sitting Vince down and saying, for your family, for us, take the deal. And Vince finally giving in to that. Well, Shane's the most normal one. His wife pretty much dragged him out of the wrestling bubble, so the story goes. So he, he lives... He, he's the one that's most aware of the outside world, according to many people. So I could see Shane being the most ad, the most the strongest advocate for selling. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like I was going to ask you because if you still think it's inheritance that's most likely, when Shane and Stephanie and Linda um, and Triple H and, and Marissa and everyone inherit it, how long before they sell it to a corporate giant? Or do they keep it in-house? Because I don't see how they do. I don't think Stephanie's interested in running the WWE anymore. I think she sees herself as some sort of corporate brand ambassador that loves going to TED Talks or whatever else those things are. And I think if they're guaranteed a role in the WWE along the lines of what Dana White has in the UFC, and if they can guarantee that Triple H will be like the creative head yeah. of the company. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can see, and I can see whatever corporate body going, well, we don't know anyone outside of the entertainment world that would do a better job than what these guys are doing. So if they've got the security of a billion dollars in their bank account and they can still run the company... Why would they not take it? Yeah, I, and if I, they ever feel exhausted and drained from it, they can walk away from it. Because I can, I can actually see Triple H at sixty-five thinking, "I'm going to walk away from this, and I'm going to do my own thing." I think Triple H is the one that's closest in temperament to Vincent Man and that work and that drive to succeed. But I don't necessarily think he needs to do the nine-to-five corporate job. Yeah, I could see um, the Dana thing happening. Absolutely, because it's not their baby; it's their dad's baby, and also there's got to be an element of am i in the shadow not in the shadow but you know it's not my i didn't it's not my frankenstein i didn't i didn't build this it depends it's like human motivation and human desire are like very very intricate and complex things so whatever motivates them I think I think if Vince was to sell, he would expect some certain guarantees that, like, maybe you've got to have Triple H on the board, you've got to have Stephanie on the board. Kevin. There's a certain amount of autonomy, and I do believe that the corporate structure of NBC Universal or elsewhere would mostly leave them to their own devices. But the question becomes, what if they don't? And what if business continues to fall after Vince goes? And do we suddenly turn WWE into WCW 2.0? where everyone in the corporate world, the, the executives, have no knowledge of WWE and don't know what to do with it. And with no centralising figure like a Triple H or a Stephanie, does it descend into corporate madness where a new head figure comes in every couple of years? Go through Jim Herr, Bill Watts, Kip Fry, Eric Bischoff, Vince Russo, Bill somewhere in there as well, I can't remember. Bill Bush, I think, was his name. I don't know where you'd take that risk. From a corporate like mentality, though. I mean, you look at Disney. Essentially, there was there's been a power struggles there for years, but now essentially Kevin Feige won out. But for the longest time, he was dealing with a guy called Ike something, who was really a real problem for him. And there was this corporate clash that eventually Disney stepped in around 2015, 2016 time, separated them out. So Kevin Feige was purely in charge of the movie stuff. Ike was in charge of the comics and the TV. But then gradually I got muscled out as well. And now Kevin Feige is basically in charge of all of it. Well, this is it. It's like, because without an emperor like Vince's in charge, if there was room for a power struggle, I could easily see a power struggle in WWE, regardless of who's in charge. Like if, if Shane and Stephanie had to share, they wouldn't last. I don't, like I said, I don't think Stephanie's interested in running the company. I really don't think she has any desire to do that anymore. She really likes doing those charity things public relations i wouldn't be surprised if she goes like her mom and tries to get into politics genuinely wouldn't surprise me i could see that yeah. even though they always said she's more vince's girl i can see her in that ivanka mode of i'm creating a lifestyle brand mm. <laughs> and everything else and to be fair to her she doesn't have as much skeletons in the closet compared to Vince, or even compared to Ivanka Trump, who I'm convinced that if she did run, would win. Yeah. I think she would win. She'd win the nomination, I think she'd win the presidency. But let's not get into that Trump element. Yeah. I, I personally think, if it does happen to be an inheritance, I think it is given 
more to Steph and Triple H. I think Vince sees Triple H as the creative. Yeah, I see Triple H, regardless of whatever else happens, whether he's got a stake in the company or not, and he's just got a billion in the bank with his wife, I see him as, like, Dana White still being a part of the company in a corporate environment and being the figurehead of the company. So that brings us down to more the creative end of it as well. So let's talk, let's let's assume Triple H is going to be the guy in charge of the creative direction once Vince McMahon is no longer in charge. Triple H will be the one with the final say. Does Triple H immediately remove Kevin Dunn from the production side of it? How does that change the the visual of the company and the hiring practices and everything else of the company? Does that mean that we suddenly hear the word wrestling said a lot more often? And does it also mean that the style of wrestling changes? And does it also mean the type of storylines changes? And does it also mean that it starts to make sense again? (laughs) And does it also mean that the script writers with the three years of experience in soap operas and shitty cable sitcoms go... And suddenly it's Shawn Michaels and Road Dogg and Jamie Noble and Dee Malenko and Fit Finley and William Regal and Matt Bloom being in charge of storylines and producing everything. I think you do get a different creative product. I could see like more ver- more variation in sets happening again uh, right off the bat for one. In terms of in-ring product, I think the aim in his head, will be 2016 to 2018 NXT. Triple H certainly has a style that he likes of of a match. I don't think he's vain enough to make every match that match. However, I do think pretty much all of the main matches will have that... You know what I'm referring to, the Gagano Champa like long, long matches where they've like People sort of talking very loudly in the ring so that you can make sure that the cameras pick it up. And you get cool you've had cool moments like that. Alistair Black saying, I absolve you of your sins. Yeah. That's every bit as awesome as I'm sorry I love you was. But down the other end of the scale, you've got just Adam Cole or someone say, Give up like you always do, Roddy, being very similar to Triple H and Sean and The Undertaker yelling at each other inside a cell for 35 minutes. I think that Triple H and Shawn Michaels will be McMahon-Patterson for this new era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I yeah. think I think if, if well, for whatever reason, Vince had left the role, had, had quit or resigned or retired or worse outcome, like two or three years ago, maybe even just two years ago, we would be a lot more excited than we are right now because NXT is not holding up compared to what, it used to be at the moment because it's trying to be a different thing to what it was well it's also stretching out over two hours with a weaker roster yeah but it's also trying to be a third brand rather than a developmental brand because because it's not a proper brand like well i know they'd argue it was always was but you feel more freedom to take chances because if stuff doesn't work it's like oh we're learning we're trying stuff out when you're a third brand you don't as far as I perceive, you don't have that safety net that comes with being labelled developmental. That's the thing. Hasn't NXT always been a loss for the company? Like, it's never been a big earner. No. So, could, in a corporate environment, them say, look, this is costing us for not good enough return, especially when you look at all this talent that's out there that we could bring in from other promotions that don't even need all these years of developments, and they're already television characters, so you're going to downsize this dramatically so it just essentially becomes the power plant 2.0. NXT UK will immediately be shot in the head if he, if he sells. I will tell you that for free. Because... They'll look at their UK market penetration and they'll look at what NXT UK has done to that and it's like, nout, not worth the paper it's written on. Bin it off. Well, again, it comes to that thing of do they do they then push the global expansion elements? Like I said, if they want to go into China, Triple H will say, well, look what I've done in NXT UK. Give me NXT China. Give me NXT Asia. Give me NXT South America. But what has he done in NXT UK? What has NXT UK achieved? Well, he'll say that there wasn't the ambition of scope, but now that I've got the NBC Universal guys backing me up, I can go more than what I have at the moment, which is just essentially a hired-out CrossFit gym somewhere in London 
and a load of five foot nine white guys with beards. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'll, the character development in NXT UK needs a lot of work. COVID hasn't helped NXT UK, but NXT UK has not helped itself. And with a lot of associations with certain characters in NXT UK as well. If I'm thinking of a corporate brain, I, I would just see that and go, Either we have to sink a lot more into it, and then even if we do sink a lot more into it, what do we feasibly get out of it? If you look at NXT as a purely developmental thing, what pure homegrown talent have they produced? NXT or NXT UK? NXT. NXT is homegrown talent. Uh, Roman Reigns, Big E. You can make the case with Seth Rollins, certainly. Jinder Mahal, Xavier Woods. I would say... He, he, but he went to the NXT. Their point is that these guys were all on NXT beforehand. Like, I, I remember saying this years ago. Years and years ago. It must have been just when they first both debuted. I would say, if there's a WrestleMania main evented by Roman Reigns against Big E Langston, I think WWE can say their developmental league succeeded. Well, we're bloody close to that. Well, it's true. It's true. We, we could conceivably have that this year. We won't. What Triple H essentially turned NXT into... Is a is like a cool indie label within a larger. It's like what sub pop was yeah. for uh, Geffen music. So it's like we've got Nirvana, so someone can see that and know that they're not on the same. They're not buying something with the same record label as Barry Manilow, but it's still going to the same people at the end of the day. Yeah, it's like Miramax when it was owned by Disney or all those sort of things. That could be what NXT is, but. Like you say, I'm not convinced that they'll think it's worth the investment when you can see talent being developed all across the world and they'll say, why don't you just do what you did back in the 80s and hire the best talents all over the world and just put them on TV? Mm. And they can say, oh, they have to work towards this TV product. And they'll be like, okay, give them a year in the, that show, but then bring them up here and don't bother paying for their all their places in Florida and sell that real estate off. I mean, another thing, it's like... Could the corporate people say you've got to keep the TV writers because it's a TV product, so you've got to keep hiring them? I mean, that's the one of the things I was going to ask. Like, could we get to a point that Triple H, if Triple H were to leave, or Triple H were to, say, be told to bring in showrunners yeah. in the same way that any other TV show, could we see a higher caliber of writer get involved? Because I guarantee you there's loads of great screenwriters in Hollywood that loved wrestling growing up and still watch it, and also Max Landis. <laughs> but, uh, and like I said, if the scandals hadn't happened, I could have very easily seen Max Landis as a Triple H's Vince Russo if if Shawn Michaels is Pat Patterson. Because I know that at least one of the two main guys behind Billions, which is a very popular Showtime program, is a huge wrestling fan. He had Becky Lynch appear in an episode of Billions. There's a character in it that's a wrestling fan. He goes on to wrestling podcasts to talk about it. I would not be shocked if he thought, you know what? I could have a punt at this. Three years of being the showrunner of Raw sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, yeah. So then we get a higher caliber of writers joining the WWE because they're not just looking for a soap opera person that will just keep their mouth shut for ages. Well, th this, links, this, this links me to one of the points I was going to raise. A post-Vince WWE would be free of Vince McMahon's... I've, I've called them whims. Do you remember a period back in 2019 when he was like, right, no more at wrestling during advertising breaks. And then every match was two out of three falls or ended in a DQ then restarted with a tag for like a good four to six months on big shows, one of Big Show's appearances on Chris Jericho's podcast. When Jericho was a thing, Vince was obsessed with the tag rope. It's like, you've got to be holding the tag rope. And Jericho was like, well, that can he still hit people if he's holding the tag rope? And Vince was like, well, yeah, he's legal. So, like, Jericho said to Big Show, right, lamp people. Hold on to the tag rope and just be big and lamp people. It is weird that Vince is, like, almost a bigger smarky stickler for the rules than anyone in AEW is. Especially when it comes to tag teams. He's obsessed with that stuff. That is interesting about Vince. That like Vince, Brett always said that the stuff, the wrestling he liked was always the technical, map-based, more realistic style. But it's just it was always the big bucks were in wild brawls with Steve Austin or Hulk Hogan's superhero routine. But the, the wrestling Vince liked is more like probably, he probably likes a Timothy Thatcher match more than he likes a, a Brock Lesnar match. But he thinks a Brock Lesnar match is what sells to the public. I find that fascinating about him. But, like I said, I, I can see it 
turning into WCW 2.0 in that there will be a corporate culture that doesn't understand wrestling and that the final decision maker it's not even that like the the final decision maker is like someone like Dixie Carter in that sense of of someone that will listen to the bad advice you have to think as well you'll have gone from somewhere where one man has ruled all for we're approaching decade four of like him ruling all till someone new taking over and it doesn't matter whoever that person is there are people in that world who will see an opportunity to seize some power for themselves or grab a slow there it doesn't matter who takes over it's irrelevant like if it's takeover buyout inheritance doesn't matter there will be a huge political power struggle because we've gone from something so secure to to something that could never be as secure as that. And when there is relative insecurity, people will seize opportunity. Well, there's no one that will have as much control over the WWE as Vince McMahon has now. No, there's not one person well, even, could do that. I mean, and Vince doesn't have as much control as Vince used to have, insofar as Vince owned everything until 99, and then gradually... Stuff has been going away, but he's made sure he's kept just enough to keep the full control. But that does also mean that basically everyone that's under the, that works for the WWE is under an employment of someone else, and that instead of it being Vince McMahon in theory keeping the lion's share of four point whatever billion dollars, it will be at most someone claiming maybe a three million dollar a year salary, mm. and that's the highest earner in the WWE at that point. And that's another thing I ask: How does the thing change for the employees? How does things change for the wrestlers? One thing, and it might be happening anyway without a corporate buyout, is the WWE eventually just going to become a TV product where there is no live shows outside of what's televised. As in Raw, SmackDown, NXT, pay-per-views. Is there no house show, sir? That links to the fact that despite COVID, they have had one of the most pro- think their most profitable year in history was 2020. That's due to certain TV deals and them always being able to massage figures to work for themselves. Live shows are a massive overhead and they didn't have to pay that overhead last year. Yes, the TV deals are a bigger factor, but you can't ignore the savings they've made. And if they're still selling like similar numbers of merch, if they're still making more money than ever before, a post-Vince person would look at the balance sheets and go, well, what's to gain? What's the net gain here from doing this? The only theoretical net gain is that you keep all the markets still more active. Because if you're only going to every state twice a year for every major market like Chicago... Los Angeles, New York, Dallas, Houston. You're only going to them maybe once or twice tops, and only 12 to 15 of those places are getting a big show, literal big pay-per-view show. Then you w- run the risk of their presence not being felt as well. Where you wouldn't go to every state, because not every state has a TV-sized venue in WWE's eyes. Well, then does the WWE become increasingly metropolitan, and does that leave a gap in the market that more local... Could you almost get mini territories growing again? Maybe. You could get like shoots of territories like in... I'm going to use this as a very obtuse example, but like Alaska or Nebraska as like starting points. I can't think Some of Alaska. like... <laughs> well, you know what I mean? I can't think of like an iconic, massive like... TV-sized arena in there, whereas you have the you have the American Airlines in Dallas, you have the Bark the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, you've got Madison Square Garden, you've got the Staples Center, you've got there's one off the top of my head in Florida, but you know what I mean. I'm listing big major cities when I think of like iconic TV venues like Chicago and what have you. Well, here's another one for you then. If you, as you predicted, they kill off the NXT UK brand, they up sticks, they bring over. Whoever's the equivalent of British Strong style. I think that's as close to a banker that, that you'll get in terms of what will definitely happen. I'm not convinced. I know, I know you're not, but in my, in my mind, yeah. I, I, for me, it's almost a banker. But if that does happen, if the WWE essentially remove their stranglehold or they hold over the UK wrestling industry at this point, does the UK industry maybe start to thrive again? Because Triple H essentially killed off the UK territory in the same way that Vincent Mann killed off the American territories in the 80s. A green shoot would have to come from somewhere. And if we had this conversation two years ago, I would be a lot more confident. 
but because we're currently i don't like we're currently in a covid world we can't ignore it i don't know what's what will survive post covid that would are we starting from scratch are we starting from the post-world of sport like levels again? We're also post-speaking out as well in the UK. That still hasn't settled yet. Yeah. Well, COVID sort of swept that under the carpet, I feel, in the sense of no one's been around to like boo the shows or, you know, people haven't tried to like ignore it and press it. Like, wrestlers haven't been physically out ignoring it and pressing on in front of a live audience, getting like absolute pelters or like nonce chants or, you know, you know what I mean? It's been, it's, it's been easier to hide in this world when everyone's in their house. So, okay, let's talk about how does the wider wrestling world react. What, what, I mean, when Vince goes, we don't want to put a year on it. That's the problem. But, well, it's essentially me asking anyway, do you think AEW exists at the end of this decade? And so what's an AEW look like in a post-Vince world? Do a rival media conglomerate try to buy them up? I could see a conglomerate looking at it. If AEW is around at the end of the decade, I think a conglomerate will have approached them by then. Especially if they're starting to pull in large crowds still. I'm convinced that if they could do the booking that they want to do this year, we've already talked our dream Omega champion situation, I think that AEW has the potential to sell out a stadium in America either within the next 18 months. If it's just Okada Omega 5, that would sell out a stadium, I think. Not a 60,000-seat stadium necessarily, but like I think you can sell thirty to 40,000 tickets to an Okada Omega sh- match. Well, let's... It essentially sold out Madison Square Garden on the potential of that happening yeah. a couple of years ago. Let's... Not forget that obviously once the world is reopened, there's going to be a boom of people like wanting to do things, whether they've got the money for it. Depends or not. where they want to go. Like I'm not convinced there's going to be a cinema boom because I think what people want to do is interact, and so that's more. I mean, I'll guarantee you for the next the next year of wrestling shows will be the hottest crowd since the Attitude Era. Guarantee you that there's going to be such a release of of tension from people to see these guys and some of them people that have developed in front of their eyes you know like bianca belair has never been a main roster star since joining smackdown or raw whichever one it was she started on drew's never been champion in front of a crowd bobby lashley hasn't been champion in front of a crowd penny omega hasn't been champion in front of a crowd the dark order have never been in front of a crowd that since Brody Lee became leader, yeah. that version of the Dark Order has never been in front of a crowd. Obviously, people have paid tickets to see them. We, we're talking capacity. I mean, crowd. a proper crowd. We, yeah, that's a, what, well, a crowd. I, where wanna, I, just, I, I just wanted to cr- make that clear. That's that's what we. A mean. crowd where there's a butt every eighteen inches. Admittedly, a butt that will occupy more space than eighteen inches. Oh, in inches, but <laughs> low hanging fruit. Accurate low hanging <laughs> fruit in some cases. Yeah, but because it's fruit, they're not eating it. Oh, <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, it depends how who capitalises on that boom. I don't know about the cinema. I think people will just want to change because, the scenery. Well, but it's like, do, do is what people are desperate for when they haven't seen everyone for ages is to be in a dark room watching something on a big screen, which is what a lot of people have had to do for their in lives anyway. Yes, because it's not. Yes, because it's not their house. I think theatres will have a boom because that's a different kind of crowd. But the general mass audience of cinemas, I'm not convinced. Maybe for, like, the next Marvel superhero film. Maybe. Edgar Wright's new film? I don't know. There are articles floating around BBC's, like, news website and stuff saying that, like, are we going to have to relearn to socialise? For every person that... (laughs) Some of us will have to learn to socialise. Well, there you go. Uh, For every person that wants to be around everyone, there could be people who quite enjoy the, the quiet, insular lifestyle. And people... Maybe some people scale back. We've not been in this world with everything so available to us. The last pandemic that the world had prior to this was in 1918 with no internet, no on demand, no television. This is entirely different to what we've experienced before. We were saying all these metropolitan areas that wrestling will essentially, WWE shows will essentially just be going to. If we go under the assumption that live shows stop, yes. Well, also, are we going under the assumption that the metropolitan areas are where most people want to live now? Because there's obviously been a bit of I mean, it's been theorised that maybe up to a million people have left London during this time. And a million people aren't going to go straight back to London on the 21st of June. Well, what would, what would a metropolitan area be if everyone's working remotely and 
keeps working remotely, what's metropolitan? Well, that becomes a big question. Then, then it's like, it's like I love how living in Birmingham City Centre, what they just invested in before all this happened was some massive new office buildings and restaurants. <laughs> there are some, there are some like office space landlords who are absolutely cacking themselves right now. Well, they'll just get converted into flats, but they'll also have to be flats that become a bit more cheaper to live in. And city centres will become more about lifestyle than they will about work. So you could say we could see like a cultural, like bohemian style thing come out of this. Not bohemian, but I, I think there'll be maybe more improv theatres opening in other cities. Yeah. <laughs> we have took a detail here. But well, I think it's part of the greater thing. Like, what is this greater world that Vincent Mann already doesn't know really much about? Yeah, but well, this is it. We've had to take a detour because the world's such an unknown right now. Never mind the WWE post Vince WWE world. Well, that's the thing, and we're talking about the uh, surrounding environments. I mean, now we're finally seeing greater representation of women and people, non-white people. We've got. What is it? All four of the champions going into WrestleMania. Quick question. Do you think we'll see a greater variety of story writing in the women's division post Vince? I, I imagine they'll be pressured to bring in more female voices. They'll probably... Actually, if it goes to Triple H being in charge of creative, I could see them then also not just bringing in Matt Bloom and William Regal and Fit Finlay and Shawn Michaels and Road Dog. I can see them looking to bring in Lita or Trish Stratus or Molly Holly or Beth Phoenix or maybe any of the four horsewomen that also want to go down a more creative path outside of that. Serena Deeb, I could see them bringing on. Yes, yeah, Sarah Del Rey. Or Melissa Joan Hart. Get Melissa Joan Hart in. <laughs> There's another like big wrestling fan. But they've done it under Vince anyway. Because finally Ronda Rousey was able to convince Vince, oh my god, people will pay to watch women? <laughs> and look, I will also say, Vince was never against women being involved in wrestling. He pushed Wendy Richter into the second most high-profile spot in WWF at the time of WrestleMania 1. So he knew there was a market there. Isn't there a Vince quote that he uh, found the idea of women doing MMA barbaric? Yeah, he did. But he never thought wrestling with women was barbaric. He tried again with Alundra Blaze when he finally found a talent that had the marketable look in his eyes. And then when Sable came along, he brought it back for her. And it's never gone since then. It's just what his vision of what women's roles are in there has changed over time. And that's probably been the influence of Stephanie as well. I mean, I, I still want to do an episode about Stephanie because I think she's the most overly criticised figure in wrestling. One of the most overly criticised. Not to say she doesn't warrant criticism, I'm just saying she gets more than her fair share. We, we want to hold off on doing long conversations about this because we have our limited purview. But I do also think that whilst Vince does have cultural blind spots like any old man does, or like any white person does, yeah. he wanted to push Ahmed Johnson. He, wanted, he did push The Rock. He wanted to push Bobby Lashley 15 years ago before he was truly ready for it like he is now. He's never not pushed black figures. It's just he's also had those typical cultural blind spots that someone who's like a 1960s idea of a non-racist is in the 2020s. And the whole Booker T not beating Triple H. Because he, apparently he loves Martin Luther King. Uh, I could see in that, because obviously Martin Luther King like was charisma personified. The story goes that he loves Martin Luther King, that he sees him as a key figure. You know, whenever Teddy Long would be on screen, he would have Martin Luther King behind him. And so obviously Vince has some sort of cultural awareness that he thinks is advanced and what would be termed back then as woke, whatever it is now. And I'm not going to get into the horrible, horrible way that woke has been mutilated by very bad, appropriated quite ironically <laughs> for what was for what was originally an insider term essentially about police brutality and everything else now it's being used to as a slur be all snooty and angry about yeah people who just l care <laughs> but i'm not gonna I get know. into that it's already going down that way anyway with Vince, and maybe without vince there will be pushed even quicker and they we won't have to worry about new day packaging that Vince wanted them to be ever even being what was there in the mm. first place. I think I think there will be people like Kofi Kingston or Booker T or Xavier Woods that will also be given greater creative voices. I mean, I would be curious to see 
what the color makeup and 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 gender makeup of the writing staff is anyway every clip i've seen it seems to be mostly guys who sort of look like me <laughs> like the nxt uk male roster um yep. so maybe we'll see more of that over time as well to go back actually all the way back to your triple h point i'm not convinced that he will make it like nxt i'm not convinced that raw in 2026 will basically be nxt in 2017 because i think triple h was marketing specifically towards our market of us and he knows that raw and smackdown can't just be marketed towards that audience unless you just be going by the fact that this is just the niche let's just stick with this mo- this loyal one million fans that we've got and this guaranteed income that loyal fandom of one million people that like what nxt produces probably provides dub NBC Universal or whoever it earns with them five hundred million to a billion dollars in revenue every year. I could see more like potentially more shows, especially if we go down the media takeover route. I could see each show having a more of a defined style. Well here's the thing, I think they might actually did get rid of the roster split entirely. I can see a corporate head who doesn't know anything about wrestling saying, There's no point in this. Why are we diluting both of these T V shows by not maximizing the number of st- of big stars we've got in each of them. Mm. So I can see Raw and SmackDown no longer being brands unto themselves. Mm, yeah, because let's face it if, it, if it's a single media market that conglomerate that takes them over, they're both going to be on the same network, aren't they? So they'll say, why do we not have Roman Reigns on both shows? Why? That doesn't make any sense. But less is more. To them, that would be like having Tyrion Lannister only appear in half of the episodes of Game of Thrones. Because he doesn't need to be in every episode. Fair, he wasn't in every episode. Yeah, I, I know I know what you're saying. You're saying the money answer. But from a creative standpoint, it just wouldn't make sense. Triple H has always has said in the past he doesn't see the need to have every belt in the world in the company when he was asked about new belts. So I can see Triple H being like, yeah, let's just have one tag champ. Let's just have one singles world champ. Let's just have one or two secondary titles. Yeah, I can see that. I think the future of WWE, I think it hopefully becomes a more logical product. Because Vince's whole thing is no one will care about that. And I think that Triple H knows that people care about that. And I think that just general people who like writing stuff like things to make sense. So mm. I think just on a whim, we're pushing this guy. No, we're not. Now we are. No, we're not. Shinsuke Nakamura is going to win this gauntlet. Then a month later, now I need him to lose to Apollo Crews because now we're pushing Apollo. An Crews. office with an actual like physical storyboard in it would exist. Well, the problem with that is that like, obviously I think the creative peak of WWE was in 2000, and that was where they had a showrunner essentially who came from a world of television who did storyboard it out and had relationships between characters. Hence, like I said, I always loved that there were things that, like, there were relationship dynamics between Kurt Angle, Edge, and Christian that were in the background, or between Triple H and DX, but he wasn't part of DX anymore, or between all all those guys, Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit, and and etc. And apparently, Triple H was among many people who mocked him for trying so hard. Now, maybe Triple H has changed over 21 years, and maybe he now realises, oh, shit, that year where I was also at my best was when we were doing this. So... Maybe we should go back to that. Well, yeah, but don't think, one of the reasons I like, for me personally, why I like AEW is because you have that. Like, Eddie Kingston will interact with Lance Archer like and make a temporary alliance, but he also doesn't like Lance Archer. And then, like, Lance will team with Moxley, but they, they get on for professional reasons, but there's, like, stuff under the surface, same with, like, I'm using Lance a lot because he's in my, fresh in my mind, but Lance and Pat, Lance and what about, Ray what about Phoenix. Galahad? Because obviously, uh, even though they're members of the same tag team, Lance will view Pac and Ray Phoenix or Phoenix differently. Yeah, yeah, I do like that. And I hope they continue down that. It's too early in AEW's life to know if that will be what will continue to be the case. The win-loss record's bothering me less because that's essentially what Dark's job is to just inflate everyone's score. So that it looks less of a problem. But I'm still not... Like I said, I'm not convinced if five years down the line you really want to see a team come out and their record is like a wrestler whose record is 107 and 22. But they don't really do that. They more, they What they what they do now is they do like... Well, here's what their record in 2021 is. Unless they've not been on telly a lot yet in 2021. Yeah, so I'm okay with that. You can, can, you can contextualise a win-loss record. Because like, it's like form. You can just say, oh, they've won like five of their last six. 
So they're the form team. You can just do it that way. My constant refrain that I go to when we talk about the star stuff and when we talk about anything is you can't apply maths to arts. You can't have definitive answers to arts. So there's always going to be limitations. And similarly, there will be limitations to how long we want to talk. There's not going to be much more that I want to say at this point. Like I said, we sort of go all over the place because, like you say, it's like if one thing happens, therefore another thing has to happen, therefore another thing has mm. to happen. And we're thinking about the thing three steps down the road. But then if the first thing doesn't happen, then the other two things are moot anyway. So we're going to have, we're about to have WrestleMania 37. Do you think there'll be a WrestleMania 74? That's a very long way away. Um, uh, I'll say yes. I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I'll say yes as well. Even if it's not even WWE, I think the brand name WrestleMania will will be something that people will buy. And maybe at some point, NBC, Universal, whatever corporate entity it is, runs WWE into the ground and they end up selling it for two to $3 million equivalent in 15, 20 years' time to Aurora Levesque. <laughs> and... I think she'll still buy the WrestleMania brand because it's like the Super Bowl now. It has its own value in and of itself. And I think that there will be pro wrestling in 37 years' time. There just will be in some way, shape, or form. I mean, New Japan's about to come to its 50th anniversary. CMLL is like 85 years old. The NWA still sort of exists. No, it does exist. It's going. Sort of, but not quite. They've got a pay per view coming up. Yeah. But you know what I mean. It's not what it was. What it is is something different. Yes. But despite uh, despite everything, it's still not dead yet. I think wrestling will actually thrive without Vince there to choke it out as much. I think a UK scene would re-emerge if NXT UK were to go away. I think wrestlers will be in a better employment situation. I think if you put them under a corporate banner. Will, ah, ah, that's what I wanted to ask you. Will they get SAG membership? I don't know if they'll need to get SAG membership if being employed by NBC Universal gives you health benefits. I don't think they'll need to. Those that want to pursue acting, and I think an increasing number of them will, will, and I think you'll see if that is, again, if it's NBC Universal, I can see them trying to fit guys into, like, I don't think it's a surprise, really, that NBC Universal are the ones that have brought John Cena into being Fast 9 as, like, the main villain of the piece. Yeah. So, although it's Warner Brothers that are now making the HBO series with him, with his character from the Suicide Squad. It's crazy that John Cena's now so much bigger than he ever was, even though he doesn't wrestle anymore and Vince McMahon isn't in charge of him anymore. <laughs> I think he was just waiting for his opportunity. Like he's, he's, I will, His cameo in Trainwreck is, I think, and him in Block. It's weird, the, the two biggest films I remember him seeing him being seeing him in our comedies and he wasn't even the star in one of them he was great in blockers he was blockers great in really blockers. it's a little gem of a film that is might re-watch that actually at some point i think i've got a bit of optimism of what a post vince world looks like because i think well i've already said that i think vince is fundamentally a bad person and ultimately whatever giant capital corporate structure it is that owns wwe they're not exactly the most magnificent <laughs> kind-minded things in the world either so it's not going to suddenly become sunshine and rainbows. No, no. But it's going to be intriguing anyway. And I think it might come sooner than we think. It's like at some point this decade, we're probably going to see a new king crowned. Well, yeah. Just I mean, like, like more of averages. That's a thought, isn't it? That's going to be weird. We'll see two coronations in relatively quick successions. That might be it for our lifetime. It probably will be. Someone tells me if I'm in it with Prince William when the medics arrive, convulsing on the street with the heart attack symptoms on display. The paramedics are I going can to Prince guess who's getting, I'm guessing who's getting the defibrillator yeah, first. Yeah. At some point this decade, Donald Trump is probably going to die too. Now that's going to be a weird one to see how people react to that. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be... Um... It's a damn conspiracy. How else would an 86-year-old obese man who eats nothing but fast food die? <laughs> Christ, the world is going to still go men. We're in March of 2021, and uh, the world's weird. And we're still going... Uh, uh, the weirdness think, isn't going to go away anytime soon. Yeah. I think we're going to have a fair few hell of a years this decade. I think this decade might be nothing but hell of years. My my, my grandma, God love her, she, uh, she says to me, she's like, I'm glad at the, I'm at this stage of my life now because I don't see it getting any better. And I'm like, cheers for the pep talk, Graham. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think we could be entering a roaring 20s, whether we get to be part of the roar or we're part of the snacks that the lions 
feasting on whilst they're roaring about it remains to be seen. Every decade has its events, but I think not many decades are going to have as many events as this decade will have. So that's something to look forward to, and will one of those events, many of those events in the future will be about pro wrestling, and if they are, you better believe we'll be around to discuss it. Simon, if people want to get in touch with you with further ideas of where we're going and what we're doing and what have you, how can they do so? They can get in touch with me on Twitter where I'm known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of letters in NBC. My name's Lorcan, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for the A in man and N for the N at the end of man. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you put in at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. Uh, if you feel like throwing a few pennies at us, because we ain't about to buy out the WWE, uh, we're going to need a few more pennies before we reach that several billion dollar sum. <laughs> then by all means, go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash lmtyspod and send us some money that way for some extra benefits as well. You'll be our friends with benefits at that point. Woofed. And also, if you want to endorse us, don't forget to throw us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. There's been a big AEW pay-per-view. New Japan are running their New Japan Cup. There's going to be a lot of matches that someone like Dave Meltzer quite enjoys. So there's a decent chance the next episode you'll be hearing from us will be another one of the Meltzer five-star projects. And if not, then we're going back to our match of the week. And our next one is... An affair that doesn't involve barbed wire or explosions, but it certainly was explosive. It involved a man who's had his dealings with barbed wire. It's from IWA Mid-South 2005 as Samoa Joe, potential future NXT or Raw GM, maybe, faces off against the Necro Butcher. Whoop, whoop. In a famous sub-10-minute match that is still talked about to this day. And we're going to be one of the people talking about it. But until then, there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great time. Until the next time. Take a pop at the champ? I'll start if you like. Yeah, please. Everything I've done in my life, I've done for my children. I, I know I've made mistakes, but, um, but I've always tried to do the best by them because they mean everything to me. Logan, have you thought about the possibility that your children are actually scared of you? Oh, fuck off.